please be seated. I don't, I don't know how to say anything after that. We got another video. Can we show another video? Wow. What an incredible opportunity it is for Kathy and I uh, to be here tonight, this weekend. We, uh, we drove in last night. I had a, quite a long day yesterday at home. Um, I have the privilege of mentoring about 45 different pastors across America and our Timothy team, so I had a whole lot of calls. We caught a late flight last night, and driving up from Fort Lauderdale at about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, up 27, the closer we got to Clouston, Kathy said, you got that feeling we're coming home? And I said, yeah, this is, uh, this is home for us. We've had other places of assignment, but this is really, really home. And today we rode around the city and went back and took pictures of where all our kids lived when they were born. They were supposed to be with us, but some of the travel situations has disrupted some plans we had this week, and so they're not here. But I just want to say that our hearts for this city burn, burn bright, but it really burns bright not because just because God put it in our hearts, but because we really felt like there has always been a huge group of people that God put in our heart. And when you find out who your people are, it's not hard to find out where your place is. If you try to make a place yours and the people are not yours, then you're always frustrated and you're always looking for an exit ramp. But when God gives you a group of people, it doesn't matter what the place is. And if you'd have seen some of the more pictures of the places we've been, it was difficult. But because God put a group of people in our heart, that's what I think makes it home for us. I want, I want Kathy to just share for a minute, and then I'm just going to tell. I really wanted to pull a stool up tonight and just talk and tell stories. Because I think there's a, there's a host of people in the room tonight that are living in the overflow of a lot of things that already happened. That... And if you know that God did those things, then you'll know that the next things are really not that big a deal. I'm going to try that one more time. You know you're maturing when you don't care what the battle is. By the time David got to Goliath, he was just another battle. So giants don't get that big when you kill bears and lions. Hmm? It's just the next battle. And when you recognize that, you realize that God's proved himself to be faithful to us. I'm, for, I'm thankful. This 30 years, how, how many, let me just say this before Kathy stands to share something. How many of you were here in the youth center? Hold, just stand up wherever you are. Come on, stand up. This is really about you guys. Come on, give these folks one more time a great big hand, would you? They were here from the beginning. Wow. Wow. Thank you. You can be seated. And then how many of you made the, how many of you made the parade when we marched through town, when they told us we could not block 27 because it was a federal highway? And then, and then the sheriff disobeyed the governor and came and rode his horse in front of us all the way, all the way down the road. I don't know where Ronnie Lee is, but thank you, Ronnie. We appreciate you doing that because we marched down the highway and came and, uh, and 
moved into this property. What, what amazing days and memories they were in, in our heart. But you know what? I've got to share 30, 30 years, uh, a little bit more than 30 years, really. I've spent over uh, 25 years of my life in Clouston. But uh, I've got to spend 42 years of my life with a lady standing next to me. And she has been amazing. She is, uh, she's everything. She's the wind beneath my wings. She's the, she's the debit on my bank card. Okay. Okay, that's enough. Uh, it, my heart is overwhelmed with joy tonight as we stand on this platform in the goodness of God. And so, Pastor Chuck and Karen, thank you for the opportunity to once again to stand here. Because I feel like we're filling big shoes because of what you've done and sacrificed to bring where we stepped into another assignment. You've took, taken this place where God wanted it to go. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. We love you so much. And all of these pastors and their wives, every one of you hold a special place in our heart. At different times in our life, you, each one came into our lives at different times, and each one's left a deposit. And we're so thankful for that. The memories that we have with a lot of these ones here here only god knows and he will ever know what happened in a little tiny room in our house over there on dean duff with green carpet and yellow walls we had this big living room but we never sat in it because we lived i'm and i'm talking about a little room so i have no idea why it must have been anointed or something it was but uh, we have many memories. But I also know that the Bible says many are the plans of, the, of a man, but the purposes of God will always prevail. Always prevail. So no matter what somebody says about you or somebody's telling what's going to happen and they're guiding you along the way, whether it's three months, six months, one year, three years, the purposes of God will always prevail. And we are one testimony right now, this day, 30 years later, of the goodness of God and the great I am and the good, good father that he is. He's a faithful father, and we're so thankful for him tonight. Hallelujah. Because there were many plans that were tried to come against with the purposes of God, but he always prevails. Hallelujah. So it's my honor tonight to stand here with this guy. And he did have hair back then, and, and I had no wrinkles. And here we stand <laughs> together. So we want to just say, thank you for loving us, for those of you that were here. We were probably a wreck those first three months. But you stood with us. You believed in us. And we love you today. We're so thankful for you. 
in our lives. And I said this when I got to be here in January, and I'm going to give this to you. In Hebrew, the word testimony means do again. And as we stand here together as one big harmonious testimony of the goodness of God, we're really saying he'll do it again. He'll do it again. And when he was faithful before, he'll be faithful again. So we just want to give God all the praise and all the glory for what you've done, Father. You're a good, good Father. You've been a faithful Father. And we just love you tonight. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to continue to use your debit card. In Jesus' name. I know Kathy just said something about them, but I just want to go on record. I'll probably say more on Sunday. But you know, I've had the privilege of, um, who would have ever believed from the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee, when God sent me to Clewiston several years ago, and even when we were getting ready to birth New Harvest, the denomination I was a part of in those days actually offered me an extremely large church in Jacksonville sent me a letter and said you're one of our rising voices and we want to make sure we position you in a place that's going to basically showcase your talent and I said to them I said you know I don't know anything about Jacksonville I'm sure it's a great place but that's not my people and a man said to me, he said, why would you want to spend your life in obscurity when we're offering you a platform? And I'll never forget when I said to him, I said, because if you build it, I'll have to trust you to sustain it. So I'll take my chances in obscurity. And who would have ever believed that now, all the years later, from a little place on the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee, this ministry, I've stood in 78 nations of the world to preach. Television ministry goes to 140 nations every week. Literally millions of people have come to Christ. And it all came from a little town on the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee. Don't ever tell me that you can't get to anywhere from where you are if God wants you to get there. And there's a man here tonight that when, when I started Destiny in 1990, we actually then started the leadership arm of it in 1992. He walked up to me on a Sunday morning service and said to me, he had no clue what we were going to do. He said, I know God has sent you to the world. My wife and I want to be the first people to sow a seed. And I said, well, we're not, we haven't even put things together. I know that's in my heart. But he said, no, we know it too. You're our pastor, but we know God sent you to the world. And he handed me a check for $300. And it was the first check deposited in a ministry that today God's blessed with millions of dollars 
and training centers all over the world. I'm honored he's here tonight. Bob Burden, we're so glad that you're here tonight. Come on, stand up. We love you. We bless you, sir. He made his way from South Carolina to be here. It's great to see you. So I'm grateful for the people that believed in us when nobody else did. And when that happens, you find yourself being loyal. But I want to say this. Because I've had the privilege to do things in a lot of places, I've had the privilege to be with your pastors. And I want you to really hear me, to be with your pastors. He's very gracious to me. He's kind. He's always talking about things that I've taught him. But some of that stuff I didn't teach him. Some of that stuff God's still trying to work out of him. I didn't teach him that stuff. I didn't teach him to get a pickup. You got to get a stepladder to get up in. I didn't teach him that stuff. Keep your dog in the freezer for two years till you could stuff him. I didn't, I didn't teach him that stuff. He learned that in flag hole. But I've stood in some of the great cities of the world with Chuck Pelham on the platform and me sitting in the audience. And I want to tell you something. There's not a greater... I, when I listen to him, I'm like, where does that come from? If you don't have any faith at all, within about 15 minutes, you're going to be taking, you're going to take something. You're going to take territory. You're going to whip some devil. You're going to build something somewhere because he really is anointed to stir faith in people's hearts. He and Karen have done an incredible job. They've pastored this church longer than Kathy and I have, and they've done an incredible job with it. We wouldn't be here 30 years. Come on. We wouldn't be here 30 years if it had not been for their faithfulness to take this thing and run it forward. And this is not just a thing back and forth, but I think if there's any honor in the house, come on, let's honor the people that really got us here to 30 years. We love you. Keep standing with me, would you, all over the building? I, uh, I asked Porter if he'd stay with me for a little while. I may really seriously just pull that up talk for a little while, but I looked up here, what, worship was great tonight, it's great, you're an incredible blessing to this house, but I'm sitting there, you know, I see something funny in everything, I have to behave myself, because I see something funny in everything, y'all don't know how much I just sort of put my head down, concentrate on Jesus, I looked up and I thought, you remember, I mean, uh, R&B and soul music had Gladys Knight and the Pips, and New Harvest has Porter and the Queens. And it's just up here. Uh, I said, how did he do that? I mean, most worship teams at least got one or two ugly men. They ain't got none of that up here. They ain't got none of that nowhere. And if I could have had Beaver's shoes back when I was playing football, I'd have got my better scholarship because I needed to be 6'3". I said, what do you say? What do you talk about? Sunday, I'm going to share a word that I think is really geared to this house for, for the next season. But I want, to, I want to go to a place that probably is pretty obvious. I want to read Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Most everybody knows what it says. 
says, everybody say the first three words with me. In the beginning. In the beginning. In fact, actually, the Hebrew actually says, before the beginning began. Because God doesn't have a beginning. He has no beginning, no ending. But it says, in the beginning of what you know about. In the beginning, God. Key, key word, God. Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. It's the Hebrew words, bohu, babohu. And it literally means that it was fruitless, unproductive, barren, not functional. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God is never repelled by all the things that are dysfunctional in your life. He's attracted to them. Then God said, everybody say that with me. Then God said, say it out loud. Let there be light, and there was light. If I were to put a title to what I want to talk about tonight, I want to talk about this. Don't be confused by the chaos. Don't be confused by the chaos. Oftentimes in our life, birthings are messy. If you've ever had a baby born, most of the time, it's messy. And it can become a bit chaotic. But if you get confused in the birth, you miss what it is that's trying to be born. And I believe there are people in this room tonight, God is about to birth something in you, through you. And you can't be confused by the chaos. Holy Spirit, I pray over the next few moments that you'll use me to communicate the heart of the Father. I pray that you use my words, my thoughts, my, my ability to communicate, to articulate what it is you've designed as a purpose and a message for this night. I pray you'll speak to us. I pray that you'll cause your face to shine upon us. Let the countenance of the Lord be lifted our way. Your favor would attend us. And to that end, I make myself available. That Jesus could be glorified. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout amen. amen. Fist bump a couple of people and tell them don't be confused by the chaos. In the, in the book of Genesis, we are looking back on the creation. You have to realize that the book of Genesis was written primarily by a man named Moses. And he, he was not in the midst of a, this was not a live streaming video. He was actually looking back on it and being told what happened by the Spirit of God. He wasn't there. And because of that, God was rehearsing to Moses everything that had taken place and everything that had happened. In Exodus, guys, put up for me Exodus, that passage in Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33. I want you to see this. Exodus 33. Moses, we sang it tonight. Show me your glory. I saw on the screen, actually, Pastor Chuck preaching a series of messages talked about glory. 
How many of you know the word glory means, it's the word kebod, or it means substantiveness. It's not just a feeling. It's not an aura. It's not a cloud. It was a cloud in the Old Testament, but it's not only represented something. It's really something of substantiveness. When the glory of God rests upon your life, he gives meaning and he gives functionality to something that's happening. So the, the Bible says that Moses cried out for his glory. He said, God, I want to see your glory. I want you to show me your glory. What does it look like in our life, this city, this house? What does it look like for God to show us his glory? What does that mean? Well, here's what happened. God said to him, he said, I'll, I'll show you my glory, but watch what his instruction was. But he said, you can't see my face, for no man can see me and live. Next verse. And the Lord said, there is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so shall it be, while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Now, how many of you know we come to realize later in Scripture that that rock is Jesus? So we come to find a place in Jesus. God shows us the glory of himself in Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He is the, he is the glory of God. He's the exact representation of all that God is. So he put him in the cleft of the rock. He said, I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. One translation says you shall see my backside or my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. How many of you know that when, when God said that to Moses, he wasn't telling him I'm going to moon you? <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't saying to Moses, because God doesn't have an anatomy. God's not a man. So sometimes we think God's going to show him his back, so God must be turning away from him or whatever. But it, it, that's really not what he's saying. He's saying to him, if you want to see my glory, I'm going to have to show you my history. Because if I don't show you my history, you won't understand my glory. Because history leaves clues. We'll try that one more time. If you don't understand the history of something, you won't understand the glory of what I'm trying to reveal in it and through it. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to show you my direction, where I'm going, my face, what I'm looking at. If you want to see my glory, I'm going to show you what historically I've done. And when I show you what I've done, then you can understand where I'm trying to take you. And I'm going to put you in Jesus because in Jesus, you can find out where I've brought you from. And then you can always know where I'm trying to take. Does anybody understand what I'm trying to communicate? So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you my back. I'm going to show you my history. See, some of you in the room, if you say, well, I don't, do you, is that really true? Well, if you, if you didn't, if, I'm, I'm gonna, I said this to our people at home one time. I said, all you, all you single folks that are waiting to get married, it, you, you need to go make sure you meet their family because history leaves clues. If you'd have known how crazy her mama was, you wouldn't have been marrying her. History leaves clues. There's some things, I ain't got no help in the room, but that's all right, I'll keep going. How many of you know there's some things that the cycles keep repeating themselves? Because history leaves clues. And when I, when I thought about what happens in this place, what happens is, is that Jeremiah, when Jeremiah begins to talk 
in Jeremiah 29, a very familiar passage that we all quote, Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Or literally, I know the thoughts I think. I mean, even though God has plans that he knows that you and I don't know. He said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans you don't know, but I know them. How many of you are comfortable enough for him to know them and you not know them? See, most people say, I only trust the God who will tell me what the plans are. He says, I just want you to trust me even when you don't know what the plans are. But he said, here's how my plans work. My plans always are to give you a hope and a future. Or one translation says, to bring you to an expected end. Somebody shout, an expected end. So in other words, I don't let you live your life believing that you're going to somehow get stuck in the middle. My intentions in your life is always to bring you to the completion or the conclusion of what I started. Philippians 1.6, he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of the Lord. You and I sometimes believe that our life gets freeze-framed and we take a Polaroid and believe that's our entire life. When in reality, that's only a moment in your life. God's thinking about the expected end. That's why he'll pull you through a knot hole backwards if he has to so that he won't let you make a liar out of what he intended with your life. Some of you have tried your best to not let God get you to the extended end, but he brings you anyway. Hallelujah. Because God always thinks about what he had in mind to finish. Because listen to me, church, God never starts till he's finished. I ain't got no help. Let me try it again. God never starts till he's finished. That's the one thing Isaiah said separates our God from every other God. When they said, what makes your God any different than all the other gods of the Old Testament? He said, our God knows the end from the beginning. So in other words, in Christ, your life is finished. Let me try that over here. In Christ, your life is finished. In Christ, the next 30 years of New Harvest is finished. Come on, it's complete. It's done. Somebody said, well, I, I wish Jesus would hurry up and do something so that we can get on to what it is he's promised us. But the truth of the matter is he's done everything he ever needs to do. He's just waiting on us to keep moving by faith towards what is the expected end. And what he proved in the Bible over and over and over is God never changed his mind. So even when the children of Israel didn't believe him about his expected end, he just outlived the generation until he rose up another generation who would believe the report of the Lord. In other words, God don't change his mind about what he started. God didn't change his mind about New Harvest. He didn't change his mind when this building was boarded up because we ran out of money. Some of you weren't here in those days. He didn't change his mind about it. He said, I have an expected end. Hmm? Because what happens is when God begins something, he's already in his mind saw it completed. He saw an end to it. And he always thinks about the expected end. That's why when Jeremiah said, when Jeremiah said to God, I can't be a prophet. I don't speak well. I don't know anything about prophesying. And God didn't say to him, I can teach you how to be articulate or I can take you to Bible school and teach you about the fathers that were before you. He didn't tell him that. 
He said, Jeremiah, if you're having trouble being a prophet, then let me take you back to before I formed you. In other words, you got to see what I had in mind before you was there, before your mom and dad ever listened to Luther V. Before they ever kissed in the back of the Chevrolet. Come on, somebody. Before they ever had a night when the candle went out before they did. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to take, I ain't got no help, but I'm going to take, I, I want to take you back to what I had in mind before they ever had you in mind because you being here is not something somebody else came up with. I came up with it. So before I formed you, I knew you. And while you were yet in your mother's womb, I ordained you. I brought you to an expected end so that you would live out the purpose for which you were created. I came to tell somebody here tonight what began in a youth center in the middle of a little town on the southwest corner of Lake Okeechobee did not begin in Tony's heart. It didn't begin in Pastor Chuck's heart. It didn't begin in four or five people's heart. It began in the heart of God. Before I formed you, I knew you. And while you were yet being formed, I already ordained you to have a place, an assignment, and a mission in the earth. So we tonight are just living out what he's already finished. In God's economy, more buildings are on this property. In God's economy, there's a policeman at the intersection up here having to let traffic in and out. keep talking. I ain't got no help yet, but I'm going to keep talking. That on, in God's economy, there is a school here that doesn't just operate during the day, but there's activities that go on here day and night. You say, how do you know that? Because I saw that. That's the expected end. Are you with me? Some of you don't some of you don't know some of these things. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, can I take just a minute and take a, take a curve here for a minute? Can I, go, can I go down memory lane for a second? This is for people that want to build your faith. When, when, when this house was birthed, it was the last thing in my life I wanted to do. I was like, I know that you can go to school, they can educate hell out of you. I know that you can, you know, go to jail. They can punish hell out of you. Or you can pastor a church some places and it can beat the hell out of you. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I done been to that school. And Kathy and I went to Atlanta. When we left, we went to Atlanta. And I asked a man named Buddy Crumb, Buddy and Mary Crumb, I said, can I use your barn to pray in? And I went back in their barn to just pray. And I was just praying about the next stage of our life. Because I was planning some other things. And, and I'm in that barn praying on the backside of their property. And a guy knocks on the barn door. He's from Texas. His name is Gary Brooks. He's a prophet. I didn't know Gary very well. I'd known him casually because my spiritual father knew him. But I'd never had a conversation with him, never ate lunch with him, nothing. 
So I'm in the back of that barn praying. He knocks on the door. And I said, uh, I said, I know your face. What's your name? He said, my name's Gary Brooks. Buddy was standing there with him. He said, Tony. He said, Gary was on his way from Texas to North Florida to preach a meeting, and he came through Atlanta. And he said he drove out of the way from I-10 all the way up here because he said God told him that Tony Miller would be at my house and he had a word for me. I said, really? Okay, what's your word? He said, I have no idea what you're praying about. Don't know what's going on in your life. We had not talked in a few years. He said, but the Holy Spirit said to me, you have sons and daughters in South Florida and you must go get your sons and daughters. And that if you'll go get your sons and daughters, God's going to birth a church that will cause them to be released in the earth as the men and women that God's called them to be. I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, you're kidding me. So Kathy and I go to a meeting. We've been in a meeting. We go to a meeting. And in the meeting, a guy stands up who's a Baptist pastor in Dallas. Let me rephrase that. He's a Baptist pastor. He stands up in the meeting and he said, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I think I have a prophetic word. He said, I don't believe in prophetic words, but I think I have a prophetic word for Tony and Kathy. And he says to me, he says, there's a divorce coming in your life. And when the divorce happens, make sure you get the kids. Now, I don't know what you think about that. There was no, there was no waving hankies and run around the building on that word. I got in the car, and Kathy and I was headed to the hotel, and I said, is there something you need to tell me? Something I don't know? She said, I don't have a clue what that's about. She said, sometimes you make me mad enough I want to kill you, but I ain't never thought about divorcing you. And it wasn't until that barn that I realized what the word was, what it meant. And God said that there was seed in this region that was about to become a harvest for the earth. We came back and we decided to, to plant a church in, in spite of all kinds of opposition. The denomination I grew up in, my dad had been an official in. And the, my, my father actually came to live with me right after, live with us right after that, lived down here, he retired. And, and that, that denomination actually asked him to give up his papers or leave my church. They said, we don't want you to go to your son's church. If you do, you're going to have to leave and give up your credentials. And my dad looked at the official and said to him, he said, he, and they were very good friends. And he said, uh, he said, I knew that God had to sacrifice his son, but I never thought I'd have to do mine in order to see something birthed. And so when we came back to, to plant, I remember having the meeting. How many of you were at the meeting on the night that we talked? Ben Williams' house. Anybody here? Was that the meeting that night? 
There's like 30-some men met me at the house that night and said, we'll be a part of helping to plant. And we had no idea where. I look today, I, we're getting ready to plant a church at, 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 the, at the gate. And nowadays, if you go to ARC or you go to any of the church planting organizations, the first thing they tell you is you're going to have to have about $200,000 to plant a church. And we were just sitting in a, an executive leadership meeting this week, and we were talking about it's going to take 100000 150000 to plant this church. And I look back, and I'm thinking, Kathy and I began. We had an offering that was given that was $5,000. Somebody said, well, how much salary was guaranteed? I said, Zero. Zero. We didn't have a house to live in. We didn't have anything. And I had three kids from 11 to three and a half years old. But how many of you know when God gives a word? I'm talking to somebody in the room. When God gives a word, then that word's able to create things it has within itself the power of its own fulfillment hmm I'm going to take a brevity of a minute that's, that's this whole thing with this virus do you, do you realize viruses cannot reproduce scientifically viruses are incapable of reproduction because viruses have no energy within themselves they have to attach themselves to something that has energy so they attach themselves to living cells and invade their energy source so they can reproduce themselves. That's why in a church, a virus can never affect a church until somebody cooperates. Because the only thing that has power or energy for creation is actually the word. The, the seed of God has within itself the power of its own fulfillment. When a seed falls into the ground, how many of you know when a seed falls in the ground, there's an expected end already in the earth? Hmm? That was really weak. An expected end is already in the earth. That means there, there's already corn in the field. There's already sugarcane in the field. There's, al there's, al there's, already, there's already tomatoes in the field. Why? Because if the seed's there, Everything necessary for that DNA to be produced is in that seed. You won't plant tomato seeds and get cucumbers. You won't, you won't plant orange seeds and get an apple tree. Why? Because the DNA that's in it will call the nutrients around it for what's necessary to make it happen. That's why tonight when I walked in this room, it felt very comfortable. I understood it because I know what was in the seed of this house when it started. And from the day it started until today, the seed has never changed. It didn't start an orange tree and become an apple tree because what God intended from the beginning is what it has been birthed. That's why when you begin something, you better know what you want. If you don't like what you're getting, don't fuss at what you got. Go back and see what you planted. Because what you planted is what it is you're living with. Because that's the thing that has the power. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that everything reproduces after its own kind. That's why this house will always have a strong presence of worship. I got three people. I said, that's why this house will always have a strong presence of worship. There can be 50 people show up and say, we don't want to worship, but the DNA that's in the seed of this house is greater than everything that's around it. You can't make an orange tree, an apple tree, doesn't matter how much you try. 
How many of you know it'll always be a praying church? I remember the seven must of this house. My spiritual father, Tom Peters, who's one of our presbyters, walked in on a Sunday, scribbled something in the pa- on his uh, piece of paper outside of the church when he came to dedicate this building. And he lists the seven must of New Harvest Church. And he said, as long as these things are in the seed of this house, God will cause it to bless and be blessed and be prosperous. And one of them was, it'll be a house of presence. It'll be a house of prayer. It'll be a house with a missionary emphasis. It'll reach the world from this place. It'll be a house full of generous people. It'll be a house made up of all kinds of people. Somebody's going to have to help me because the seed is in the earth. God in the beginning. In the beginning. Do you realize when New Harvest Church was born, some of you were here to know this, when New Harvest Church were born, was born, there was not a multicultural church in this city. Not in our city. We look at it today and say it's common. There was not one in the city. In fact, I want to celebrate all of, our, all of our people of color, Hispanic people, African-American people that are in this house because some of you walked by ushers who said things that were not very nice. I remember when I went to an usher one time who looked at people and said, this is, this is right when we were trying to figure out, said, well, I don't know if those people from Harlem need to come over here to church. They got their own churches. Why they need to come over here? I said, because God didn't plant what was already here. He's planting something that's called a new harvest. We've had enough old harvests. Come on. We need a new harvest in the earth. In the beginning, God. Those are things that are in the, in the seed of this house. I remember when we thought, how are we going to name this place? What, what's the name of the church going to be? Our two, at that time, our two eldest members was Ma Pratt and Miss Geraldine. Both of them are in heaven today. Ma Pratt had been a Pentecostal in the glades for over 50 years at that time. Mom Pratt called me one day and she said, Brother Tony, it's also she always showed, she called me that till the day she died. Brother Tony, I need you to come over to my house. She said, I'm gonna make some, I'm gonna make some turnip greens, some cathead biscuits. I need to talk to you. I said, I don't even care if you're gonna talk, just if you're gonna make, if you're gonna make greens and biscuits, I'm coming. Come on, there is an anointing there. Come on, somebody help me. Miss Geraldine was there and she said, This new church, I believe God's having you begin a new church. I said, Okay. She said, I had a dream last night. God told me what that church should be called. She said, This is this is a land fertile with harvest. People here understand harvest. They understand seasons. They understand that when the harvest is ready, you gotta reap it. And she said, Brother Tony. The harvest has come to fullness. But God said it's not a regular harvest. It's not a common harvest. He said in that dream, God told me it's going to be a new harvest. It's going to be a different kind of place. It's going to be a different kind of church. I said, glory. I got up from that table, got my greens and biscuits. I went out and I went and told all the guys. I said, go open up. Go get us 
Incorporated and incorporate the church and call it New Harvest Church. And those two ladies at her table 30 years ago gave birth to this house with a name. That's how this house got named. They were intercessors. They were intercessors. I remember we were meeting at, at the youth center. And because there had never been, there had not been a church started at that time in Clewiston in 25 years. And there had never been a non-denominational church, ever. And so when we started meeting, you know, people thought we were a cult, we were all kinds of stuff. We were weird. And they came to us and said, we, we got something going on at the youth center. You can't have it more than a month. And I'm like, well, what do you got going on? I mean, I live here in town, and I come by here all the time. Ain't nothing ever here. I see like four teenagers here in two days. And they said, no, we got something going on. You can only have it for a month. And I know, you know, okay, it's fine. So we had, like that time, 25 days to find a place to move this fledging body of believers to where we're going to meet. Because, I mean, like, where are we going to? We, I thought we're going to the lake, I guess. We're going to sit down on the lake. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to give the Beatitudes on the side of the hill. I didn't know what was going to happen. And at that time, most of those people would at least went for a week. We'd have tried it for a week. And all of a sudden, the old car dealership opened up, Chrysler Cathedral. And uh, I went to talk to the guy, and he said, he said, uh, I need $5,000 a month rent. I said, you could buy this whole place for $5,000 a month. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> Finally, after a conversation, he said, well, I'll, I'll rent it to you for $2,000 a month, but I'm not cleaning it up. I said, okay, that's fine. We can do that. And everybody, you see those pictures? Everybody went in there and went to work. How many of you remember, we had skid marks in the foyer. People would ask, what is that right there? I said, that's the last people tried to cause rebellion here. God just zoomed, zapped them right there. He zapped them right there in the floor. Remember, we had, we had, we, we had one restroom <laughs> that you had to step up in. And if you like me, you had to back in because there wasn't a whole lot of room to turn around. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. And in the, in the beginning days, we didn't have a wall in front of you. Remember that? So if, if you went to the restroom in the middle of service, you stepped out in the altar. <laughs> you, you remember that? And we put the nursery over on the, on the side, and the babies would scholar as loud as I would when I preach. We got the children's church in the back, and then finally we had all these guys. And they all, you know, they, they were big-time preachers. They all wanted an office. So you remember we went, you guys don't remember, I'm telling you, y'all are living in a Cadillac. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We went and got lattice because we couldn't even afford sheetrock. Remember we got lattice and propped it up in the back and made two walls and called it the cage. And that's where we put all these guys, we put them in the cage. They were animals anyway. We put them in a cage. So people had their meetings in a cage back there. And God began 
he just began. People started coming. People got saved. People became a part of the church. God was solidifying things in our hearts. And I remember then the story about this property, and I'm going, I'm going to preach and finish in just a minute. The story about this property you're sitting on. This was the last set of acreage that was on the foreland anywhere in Clewiston that was available. But we started in January in the youth center. And in February, we moved into the building that was in the picture there. And we had asked Marianne Brown to come, who today's with Jesus. Kathy had met Marianne in North Carolina. I had never met Marianne. She flew in to come be at the service that week. She's going to be here for a week. I'd never met her. She got delayed coming from Dallas to Miami. She flew into Miami for some reason. And she, when she got to Miami, it was so late at night, she called me and she said, I'm just going to stay in a hotel in Miami and I'll drive up tomorrow to be there for service. What time does it start? Well, I told her it started at 10 o'clock. She just didn't realize how far it was from Miami. And so she drove up that morning and got there about 15 minutes after service started. And so she came in and just greeted me on the front and sat down. And so I, uh, I got up and introduced her. Some of you were there that day. And if you remember Marianne Brown, she, she would prophesy in rhyme. God would give her a word, and it was, she prophesied almost as if it was poetry. And she came up, I'll never forget, she came up, set her, set her Bible down on the pulpit desk. The first pulpit desk we had, Jason's daddy built. First communion table he built for us. She came up and set her set her Bible down on the pulpit desk and walked off the stage and looked at me. Never met her, did not know one thing. She said, I hear the word of the Lord saying, this battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. And if you will listen to what he says to you and let him fight your battles, he will set you at the gate of the city and people will come who are the leaders of the city and they will sit at your feet and be taught the ways of the Lord. She said, and God said, there will not be a lack, but he'll supply everything you need. The prophecy was really about, two and a, about a page and a half. Kathy kept it. She took a pen and pinned it to the curtain over her sink. And when she would wash dishes every day, she would sit and look at that prophetic word and declare New Harvest Church is going to sit at the gates of the city. God said he's called us to be gatekeepers. We're going to sit at the gates of the city. And so when this property came open, it was the only piece of property available on the four lane to build a church on at that time left in the city. And I came out here one day because I'd come and pray over it, and I looked across the street. And at that time, the Welcome to Clueston, Welcome to Clueston sign was almost directly across the road. We tried to buy the property. They wouldn't sell it. We negotiated. And if you remember, at that time, in, in late 80s, there was a bunch of bank failures that happened. And the person that owned the property had gone into, the bank had, been, had taken this property back, but with the bank that took it back, which was Sunbank, actually went into receivership as well. So the FDIC had this property. The federal government had this property. 
It was 16 acres. They were asking $875,000 for it because they knew that someday somebody's going to get it and build it and it'll be the interest of the city. So one, morning, one day in prayer, we were in early prayer. One day in prayer, the Lord said to me, he said, call him, call him. I don't know to this day how I got the man's number. But I got the real estate director for the FDIC for the southeast region of the United States. Somebody shout favor. Favor. I got the phone number. I called the man and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about a piece of property in Cushing. He said, who are you? Are you, are, you the, are you the realtor? I said, no, sir. I'm the buyer. And he said, sir, I can't talk to you. He said, it's illegal for me to talk to you. I said, well, don't talk to me. Just listen to me. <laughs> and after about five minutes of going back and forth, he said, I can't talk to you. And I said, sir, all I'm asking you is give me three minutes. I'm telling somebody in the room, listen, if you want to burst something, you better learn an elevator speech. If you can't tell somebody in the time it takes you to get from the first floor to the fifth floor what it is you're believing for, then your, your mission is probably too big for somebody to partner with. I said, will you give me three minutes? And he said, I'm going to give you three minutes, and I'm hanging this phone up. I said, sir, you need to understand that in this city, there is something happening that's going to change the whole culture of this city. I said, the day is going to come when there's going to be a school. I'm going to buy that property because there's going to be a school on that property. There's going to be a training center on that property. It's going to be a very diverse piece of property. People are going to come from every neighborhood in the city. We're going to train people. He said, what do you do? I said, what we do is we make people's lives better. That's what we do. And people are going to come streaming into that place. We're going to offer healing for people, put their lives back together. Marriages are going to be restored there. You have to recognize we are going to pick up the broken pieces that all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put back together again we're going to see Humpty Dumpty become real and he listens to me he listened to me and here's what he said to me he said I am in Orlando if I lived in your city I think I'd come find out at least what you're going to do because I've never heard of anything like that I said sir I want to buy that property and he said I cannot sell you the property I have to go through a realtor he said but you didn't hear this from me he said but Friday morning this property is going to be given to a realtor in that city and whoever is the first person to make an offer, we've held on to it too long, we're going to sell it. In the beginning. <laughs> Before I formed you, I'd already begun to work. I knew the realtor's name. At 9 o'clock Friday morning, I showed up in his office. I said, I want to make an offer on the piece of property on 27. He said, how did you know that property is for sale? I just got the facts 10 minutes ago that I can offer it to sell it. I said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just woke up and felt I need to come make an offer. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I literally, that's what I told him. I didn't tell him I talked to the guy. And he said, okay, go and make me your offer. He said, but I doubt, I doubt you get it because he said, I've already got some other calls. I said, but I'm here in person. I signed a document that we'd buy this property. I offered him $300,000 on an $875,000 piece of property. I said, we'll give you $300,000. He signed it. I signed it as an official offer. I walked out the door 
And as I was getting in my vehicle, the representative for Walmart pulled into the parking lot because they wanted to buy it. And right behind him pulled another businessman, I won't say his name, pulled right in behind him because they wanted to buy it to extend the other things that were going on down here. And I recognized that that man on the phone told me the first person who gives me an offer is going to own this property. Walmart came in behind us and offered them $100,000 more for this property than we offered them. But in the beginning, God already saw something. Somebody in the room ought to help me shout. How many of you recognize Walmart is, Walmart is the biggest entity. They're the most employers in the world. That's the biggest company in the world. Literally 3% of the world's gross income comes through Walmart. 3% of trillions of dollars come through Walmart. But when God says you can have 16 acres of property on the corner of a town because I'm setting you at the gates of the city, how many of you know it doesn't matter if you've got the biggest company in the world, you can't get what God says is yours because God has an ultimate end. And I'm calling everybody in this room tonight back to original intention. If God did that in the beginning, then what's another building? What's a high school? What's more buildings? What is a gymnasium? What is any of that to God if that was in the seed of what God intended from the very beginning. Somebody ought to hear me tonight. God said in the beginning I was in this. I formed it before you ever knew it. Listen, I'm almost finished. Listen, listen. We took ownership. Mr. Rawls has, Mr. Rawls has, I understand, recently died. He looked at me the day we closed and he said, I will never know how you bought this property. That's what he said to me. I will never know how you bought this. I said, I don't really know either. <laughs> but God said, in the sixth week, the sixth week of us having services, he sent a woman to prophesy, I'm setting you at the gates of the city. And who would have ever known from those days, mayors have attended here, county commissioners have attended here, school board members have attended here, people, she said, the elders of the city will come and sit at your feet and be taught the ways of the kingdom. Who would have ever thought? And a people that the world was calling, that's a strange group, that's, that's a cult. But God used all kinds of people. I hooked Janet tonight. God's put all kinds of friends at, at New Harvest Church because of the influence this church has had to touch this city and to love on this city. And I remember the days when we'd send people, and they st still do in multiple ways, but when we'd send people all over this city to places nobody else wanted to go, We'd walk those streets and love on people and drug addicts and prostitutes and people that were disenfranchised. We'd say, come on, we got a place, we got a place for you. I remember when we'd send teams to Bill Glade on Saturday night when, when, when the police would say, you can't go down that street, don't walk down that street. But how many of you know when you've been called and appointed for a region, 
New Harvest Church did not just affect the city of Clewiston. It affected Belglade. It affected South Bay. I remember when the football team from Belglade, the coach would get them every year and put them in a bus and bring them and set them in the church so I could preach to them. Fred Taylor sat in the church. Rydell sat in the church. All the guys that went on to the NFL sat in this house and learned to hear the voice of God because of the influence of this. Am I doing okay? All the way to Moorhaven, God influenced people. There are people in this house from Moorhaven, from LaBelle. Why? Because he called it to be a regional apostolic center. It was meant to influence culture. It was meant to show people the way of the kingdom and do things that they've never seen done before. You have to realize that this house is always going to be fighting on the edge. No, I'm going to say that again. This house is always going to be fighting on the edge. We're always going to be fighting for unsurrendered territory. Places that have refused to surrender to the kingdom of God and to the ways of the kingdom. That's where New Harvest will always be fighting. Because in the beginning, God. That's what he made it to be. That's why in the next 30 years... We'll fight on the edges of education. We'll fight on the edges of injustice. We'll fight for disenfranchised people. We'll fight to break the spirit of poverty off of people that have grown up in systemic poverty. Don't think it's strange that this is a high-giving church and a generous church because God has taught people here that had nothing how to move from a place of systemic poverty into a place of continual abundance because the way of the kingdom is that God always improves people's life. In the beginning, God. We built this building, started up with it. You saw pictures of, some of the pictures had plywood on the side of it. That was not our window patterns in those days. We started and ran out of money. We ran out of money. I, I was as, as discouraged as I think I'd ever been. I'll never forget one day I was, I was totally just bummed out. And for those of you who remember back in those days, my kids, if they couldn't reach me at the office, which was across the street over here where the, at that time, we owned on the other side of the road as well as here. If, if they couldn't reach me at the office, <laughs> my, Amanda was talking about this the other day. She was telling somebody, if we couldn't reach him at the office, we'd call Sonny's. <laughs> that was his other office. Because I'd go over here and sit for two or three hours at a time and talk to people. People just come sit down at my table. And so I walked into, into, into Sonny's and I was just, I was just bummed. Because see, sometimes we forget what God's already finished. I'll never forget it. If you remember the old Sonny's that was over here, you walked in, there's a line of tables up against the wall. There's another table here. Then there was a wall and another set of tables there. Across the back was big tables. Listen, listen. I, I went to Sunny's today with y'all. I went in and ordered something and the lady said, she said, sir, that hadn't been on the menu in five years. I said, why'd y'all get rid of that? That's pretty good stuff. And she said, but I've been working here long enough. I remember what it is. I'll make it for you. So I said, thank you. But I was sitting at the third table when you walked in the door on the right. And a businessman here in town walked in and he stopped at my table. And he had been one of those people that had really been questionable about what we were doing. And he said to me, Preacher, 
exact words. Preacher, when are you going to sell me that property? I said, what property? He said, that one next door. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you 30 cents on the dollar because you ain't never going to finish that building. He said, you're dead in the water. You know it and I know it. And it took everything in me to just say to him, no, it's not for sale. Because if I would have looked at everything going on around me, we were dead in the water. And he said, well, I just want you to know, you know my phone number. When you get tired of all this, this struggle, call me. He said, I even got some land, I'll trade you. I said, no, God didn't call us to be over on the back side of town somewhere. I love everybody, but he didn't call us. In my mind, I'm going, he called us to the gates of the city. He called us to the gates of the city. He said, well, you're dead in the water. And he walked off. And I sat there and tried to eat my Texas toast. And I remember in my mind, I said, God, are we, am I? Am I finished? Are we done? Was this a great thought? Or did you really do this? And that was in August. My pastor, I normally preach for my pastor in those days, Pastor Tom Freitas, I normally preach for him in June. That's when he would have revival meetings, or I'd preach for him at the World Conference in February. Out of the blue, the next week, Pastor Tom called me. He said, Tony, I was at prayer this morning. The Lord told me to have you come preach. Can you come in September? I said, well, Pastor, I mean, you're my pastor. If you, if you need me, I'll cancel anything I got. I've given, I've given him my word all these years. You're, I serve you. He said, well, I feel like you need to come. So we arranged for me to come in September and preach on Sunday morning at Trinity. At that time, they had two services. And I went to preach, and I thought, man, you know, what? what if, this is not a conference. It's not his normal revival stuff. Why has he got me here? But I did. I served my pastor. See, sometimes you don't realize it, but you, you serve in one place because God's got something he's about to release. See, David didn't know he had been already ordained a king. He didn't know God had chose him to be a champion. So when his daddy asked him to carry cheese and wine to his brothers, all he did was respect the authority over him. He did what his father asked him. And when he did what his father asked him, it positioned him to be in a place to kill a giant. Because God had an ultimate intention. Come on, somebody. So I went and preached for him. And pastor said to me, he said, I'm going to stand up behind you and take the offering. Normally he'd always ask me to raise an offering. I said, okay, it's fine. I'll never forget it. He stood up behind me when I preached and he said, Tony doesn't know this. But they are at a standstill on a building they're building in Clewiston. And the Lord spoke to me in prayer last month that we're to sow a significant seed into their life. So I need everybody in this building that will to sow a significant seed. And he said, I'm asking all of my 
contractual or construction men and women that own companies here in the building to meet us after church. I want you to help him finish that building. And I walked out of Trinity that day and they gave me a $20,000 check that day and sent a $10,000 check the next week. And that $30,000 began us. He called me the next week, the man that owned an electrical company, said, I will have my crew on your property in three weeks. Take the money, buy just the wholesale stuff, use my license to buy it, buy the wholesale stuff for the electrical. My crew will be there to help put it in. And Trinity sent a team of sheetrock men and said, we will help sheetrock the walls and mud them and paint the walls. And from that September when we started, we never stopped building until we marched down 27 and moved into this building. Come on, if that had been your house, you'd have clapped a little bit better than that. How many of you know that? Thank God for other people. And here's what I came to say tonight. I'll preach on Sunday, but here's what I came to say tonight. Some of you in your own minds have wondered, how could it ever happen for me? When God speaks, how could it ever happen for me? See, the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. How many of you know that light has nothing to do with the sun in Genesis 1? The sun wasn't created until the fourth day. It has to do with understanding and illumination. Because when chaos happens, when things are birthed, they seem to be birthed in chaos. So the first thing God gives to them is he gives to them illumination. Hmm? Darkness is symbolic of ignorance. Light is symbolic of understanding. So what happens is he has to invade your darkness with greater light. And listen to me. You live at the level of your light. I'm going to try that over here. You live at the level of your light. So you walk out where you are until greater light comes. But when greater light comes, you move to another level. If you don't believe that, go with me to a man named Paul who was on the road to Damascus. And as he was on the way to Damascus, the Bible says he had permission from the chief priest to kill Christians. He was walking in the light he had. He thought Christians were a threat to the Judaizers of the day. He was walking in the light he had. So what happened on his way to Damascus? There shined a greater light. And when the greater light came, he fell to the ground and said, Who are you, Lord? All of a sudden, he got understanding that he didn't have five minutes ago. Because here's what happens. You walk in the light you have until a greater light shines into your life. But when the greater light comes into your life, then you get to walk at a level you've never walked at before. And I came to tell somebody tonight on Friday night, anybody that would come to church on Friday night, you need to recognize there's a greater light that's about to shine into your life. And when 
he shines into your life, he begins to bring order out of the chaos. He begins to put everything in its rightful place. He begins to create things that have within themselves the power of their own sustainment so he can begin to bring up something that reflects his glory and his beauty. That's what he's going to do with your life. That's what he's going to do with this house. Oh, I wish I had two hours because the reality is, is that he shines light. He separates land from water. He separates firmament from the atmosphere. He all of a sudden begins to separate things that will not create life from things that will create life. He begins to bring everything in order. You want to know why some things in your life have not happened yet? Because he had to create grass before he could create cows. Because he never creates anything that can't sustain itself. So you may be at a place in your life that you're not sustainable of the dream you've had. So he's got to take you through gate two, three, four, and five. And then all of a sudden he can give you what you've been dreaming about. Because he's bringing you to an expected end. But you got to survive day two, day three, day four, and day five. I came to tell New Harvest tonight, you survived year 10. You survived year 20. You've got to year 30, but God has never changed his mind about what he intended for this house to be. In the beginning, God. Stand, everybody stand. I'm going to close with this. I don't know how many of you know a man named Bob Sorge. Bob's a friend. He's probably one of the greatest writers of worship books that I've ever, ever known. He's, he's an incredible guy. He, he walks with Jesus. We were together a couple weeks ago. And 27 years ago, Bob, who was a worship leader and a teacher, had an attack against his vocal cords with an illness. And he didn't completely lose his voice, but he could only whisper. So when Bob preaches, nobody can say anything because he holds a microphone and talks like this. He can only talk for an hour and a half a day or he won't have a voice. So when you meet him, he's got a writing pad, so he writes back and forth to me. We talk. He writes answers. And he has to do it with his wife. He does it with his kids because he can only speak an hour and a half a day. And for 27 years, it's been that. And a lady walked up to him and said, Bob, is it painful for you to talk? And he said to her, it has been for 27 years. Every word. And she looked at him and she said, I am so sorry for what you've had to go through. As long as there's breath in my body, I'll never forget what he said to her. He said, ma'am, God has never apologized to me one time. So I don't need you to feel sorry for me. Because I found out he never apologized to Joseph either for putting him in a prison or a pit. And he never apologized to Paul for making him shipwrecked and beaten. And he never apologized to his own son 
for hanging on a cross. So he don't owe me an apology for what I've had to walk through because I've recognized that had I not been through those seasons, I wouldn't understand him in the way that I understand him today. In this room, God had an ultimate intention when he began. And sometimes in that ultimate intention, you feel like you've been crushed, you've been knocked down, you've been rejected, you've been betrayed. And guess what? I came to tell somebody tonight, you don't need to view your life from where you're at. You need to go back before the betrayal, before the divorce, before they walked out on your life before they told you they weren't going to support you. What was God's intention for your life in the beginning? And never ask him to apologize for what you've had to walk through because in the beginning, God created something that was going to bring glory and honor and majesty to his name. And I came to awaken in people tonight. You can't stop at the hurt. You can't stop at the difficulty. You can't stop even at the success. In the beginning, God, what did he intend with your life? What did he intend with your business? What did he intend with your marriage? What did he intend with your church? That, my friend, is what God is trying to complete. And if there's anybody in the room tonight that is grateful that even when you didn't know he was there, he was still watching for you because he's bringing you to an expected end. I dare you to throw your hands in the air, lift your voice, and begin to say, God, remind me of what the beginning looked like. Remind me of what it was when you started. Remind me of what it was like when you called me. Remind me what it was like when you picked me up. Don't let me forget what's in the seed. Father, tonight, our hearts are filled with gratitude. hearts are full our hearts are full God remind us of the beginning Lord, forgive us when we look around at things and think they're not going fast enough. Forgive us when we look around and accuse you of not acting on our behalf. Because since the beginning, you've been moving us towards an expected end. And you're the author of our faith and you will be the perfecter of it. And I pray for people all over this room tonight that have cried out for your glory. I pray that you'll show them your back. <laughs> show them the history. Show them when you delivered them from that addiction. Show them when you kept their marriage together when they didn't know how to keep it together. 
Show them how you touch their children when they didn't know how to lead them and how to guide them. Show them how you paid that electric bill when they didn't know where the money would come from. God, remind us of our history because our history leaves clues and it reveals your glory. Don't let us leave this place tonight and ever believe that you need to apologize to us because we sang it tonight. God, you've always been faithful. Even when we were faithless, you have been faithful. And even when we were discouraged, you continued to move us towards an expected end. So I thank you tonight and I prophesy to this house that you have plans that I don't know about. But they're already finished in your mind. And they're already finished in the mind of God. And tonight I join my faith to your plans and to your purposes and to the things you've already established. And I say, what you began in the beginning, will you complete in my lifetime? Let me run my race. Let me do my part. Let me continue what it is you have in mind that this thing may come to an expected end. Somebody in the room needs to join your faith to the plans of God. What he had in mind in the beginning, he lets you and I be a part of something that revealed his glory and revealed his nature. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Paul was standing in front of a man who had the ability to take his life and he was telling his story because Agrippa was in the chain of people that he was going to get to and Paul had the ability to tell his story you know what he could have told him he could have told him about what he wrote to the Corinthians I once knew a man who went to heaven saw things that nobody else saw he could have told him about his trip to heaven he could have told him about the day that miracles birthed the church in Ephesus. He could have told him about dead people getting up. Paul could have told him about any of those miraculous things. But do you know how Paul got through the next season of his life and found his bearings? He looked at Agrippa and said, I was on my way to Damascus with orders from the high priest to execute those who were the followers of the way and a bright light shined out of heaven because it doesn't matter how many trips to heaven I've had it doesn't matter how many miracles I've seen if I don't orient my life and align my life to what you meant in the yeah. beginning then when
when I get success, I'll get offline. When I get failure, I'll get offline. When I get popular and notoriety, I'll get offline. I got to go back to the beginning. What did you say to me in the beginning? Because that ladies and gentlemen, is what keeps me anchored and that what keeps me aligned to the purposes of God. Janet, I remember, I remember Janet Taylor, I remember when you worked at the police department, but there was something burning in your heart for this city. You said, I want this city to be changed. I want to break traditional barriers. I want to open doors that's never been opened for my people and open avenues into this city. And even when you was working at the police department, nobody believed you'd ever be a commissioner. Nobody believed you'd ever stand with people in government and in federal government areas. But look at God, because in the beginning, God had an ultimate end. LaVita, I remember when you sat in that office and would talk to me about, I want to be a businesswoman. And I believe God's going to use me to do things that would talk about things that you say nobody from my neighborhood's ever done this stuff but look at God because in the beginning God intended something that you never thought was possible I I remember Jody and CJ I remember when you talked to me about birthing a church and pastoring a church and you wondered whether you spent your whole life working on somebody's staff or whether and you and hold somebody else's flag or whether you get to hold your own but I remember us sitting in my ready room saying no much as I didn't want to, God said, no, it's time to release them to their own dream in Mississippi. And you took what was something we didn't know if we'd keep it open. And all of a sudden, look what God's done. Now it's a thriving church that's bought its own property. You've got to go back to the beginning, even in the struggle, even in the battles, even in the trials. Oh, I'm talking to somebody. Tina, I remember when you would talk to me that you believed you would influence education. You would see things changed in a way that was different. I remember when you called me on the phone about making the trip back to Clewiston. You said, I don't know if I'm supposed to go or not. I've got all this experience in Texas, but something inside of me is showing me something. I've got a place of influence. Who would have known that in six months, God would move you all the way to being a principal? Who would have known in the beginning? Facebook followers you got what were you in the beginning what were you when you were in seed form say but I've been hurt there's a lot of church hurt ladies and gentlemen your best to get the dreams of God for your life out of your mind. You tried to say, God, leave me alone. Don't, 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 don't keep bothering me with that. I'm, I'm done with it. But when God's put a seed in you that you're supposed to be a voice, you can't lay at night and be silent. Something inside of you keeps talking. Even when you don't feel like talking, I am talking to somebody in the room tonight. There are preachers in this room. There are business people in this room. You only, you are content to get to success, but God wants you to move beyond success. What did he show you in the beginning? 
There are some business people in this room. God didn't show you you being blessed. He showed you being a blessing. And if you stop at being blessed, you won't have fulfilled what he began in your life. He got you up and into a place where you could be successful, but he didn't want you to stop there. Because in the kingdom, it's not about being blessed, it's about being a blessing. I'm turning everything God did for me. You don't know where I, you don't know what a mess I was when I started. I couldn't even add two plus two and get it to equal four. But look what God did. He put a business together. He gave me favor. He gave me customers. He gave me clients. He gave me contracts. And now today, my family's more blessed than it's ever been. But guess what? He didn't do that for me. He did it for his kingdom. I've been blessed to be a blessing. That's what I saw. I remember the day that I stood over on the street next to the lake in a house that I was renting. I didn't even own a home. I said, God, I'm, I'm asking you to let the day come when I give away more money than I'm making today. And God said, okay. And I'm I'm not the brightest, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer, but I understand this, that if I'm going to give it away, i got to have it. And I remember before I walked out of Clewiston, within that next 10 years, God allowed me to give away more money than I was making. You say, how do you do that? Because when you recognize in that seed, What was it in the beginning? Because that's what God's still doing. And we said, we better find out what God's doing. Let me tell you what God's doing. He's doing whatever he was in the beginning. Don't complicate this. Don't try to create five different hybrids. Whatever he was doing in the beginning, that's what he's doing. There may be a cucumber patch across the road. But you let the cucumbers be the cucumbers if God made you to be a tomato. Come on, somebody. I'm done. Lord, I ought to be. Look what time it is. Jesus. I promise Sunday I will not preach this long. I'm just telling stories. I want you to get ready to sow a seed. I can't imagine coming to a meeting like this and not making an investment. I'm going to sow a seed tonight just because I want to honor God for his faithfulness in my life. You say, what should my seed look like? It should look like whatever you want it to become. Whatever you want it to become. The one thing I know is this, is that God's a God of generosity. In fact, the Bible says he so loved that he gave. He actually defined his love. He so loved that he gave. Listen to me closely. We're going to receive the offering. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You can give out of habit, routine, charitable, tax benefits, but if you love what God's doing in your life, you can't help but be a giver. You can't help but be a giver.
It's the nature of God. When Mary poured out her alabaster box, she didn't do it for Jesus. She did it because of Jesus. It was her brother that he had raised from the dead. Maybe you think that's extravagant. But it wasn't your brother that got up. So when she walked in and poured out her best, it was not for him, it was because of him. Our family wouldn't be where we are had it not been for you. So we're, I'm doing this because of you, Jesus. I want to I reveal my love for you by pouring out what I have. The screens give you instructions about how you can give. I'm just going to pray over your seed. I believe there are people here tonight going to write generous seeds. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak to us clearly, accurately. I pray, Lord, that our seed will be a reflection of our gratitude for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done in this house, Lord, 30 years. Before we ever met together for the first time, you'd already formed us and you'd already ordained us. And we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Pastor Chuck, come on and give instructions about it. You wanted to bring it? Can, can we bring it? Okay, you guys, we're gonna, let's sing that. All my life, come on, just bring your gifts tonight and Pastor Chuck will close. I love you. Life you've been so good. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath, every breath that I am made, I will see, I will see of the goodness of God. With
Amen. What an amazing night. Amen. Oh, my Lord. Wow. Man, I tell you what, if Bishop keeps working on it, he's going to learn how to preach one day if he stays with it. Hallelujah. Amazing, amazing night. Bishop, what an amazing word. Thank you for sharing that. It is so powerful. My Lord. Hey, uh, will you just help me give all these pastors one more time? These guys are incredible men and women of God. Would you help me just bless all these guys? These guys are pastoring some major churches and leading some major congregations, doing an amazing work in their territory, and we're grateful for that. Let me just give you a couple instructions. We will have church on Sunday morning, in spite of what you watch on the news. We got church on Sunday morning. We got church on Sunday morning. Now, if you look around, you'll notice that there's a lot more chairs in here, and we did that to create space because, you know, everybody's worried about stuff so we created space so there's a whole lot more chairs in here than necessary that's just in case somebody wants to spread out if they're worried about things we're trying to be as compliant as we can with uh, CDC we've got we got bacterial soap we got everything that you need just wash your hands fist bump ankle tap whatever you like to do just but we got we're complying as much as we can but Sunday morning Bishop and Pastor Kathy's going to be here. It's going to be an amazing day again. we got more videos to show you. we got some other people that's going to be greeting us. And then right after service, we're going to have an old-fashioned homecoming dinner on the grounds right out here. It's going to be right out there. we got big tents coming. we got activities for kids and stuff. It's just going to be an entire family event so we can just have fun and fellowship with one another. Amen. So it's going to be a great time. Lift your hands all over the building. Father, we thank you tonight for such an amazing an amazing time in your presence. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have accomplished. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're there in the beginning. You'll see us through until the end over everything that you promised us. Lord, the seed is in the ground. The seed is alive. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, I speak over every family. I speak over every individual, Lord, as we make our way back home. Lord, I just speak the blessings of the Lord over their life. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for safe travels, safe journeys. And, Lord, until we see each other again on Sunday morning, Lord, bless them coming and going. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you tonight. Having an enjoyable evening.